Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. Amen and amen. Amen, church. Put your hands together in the house of the Lord if you are blessed to be here in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Amen, church. Amen. We are uh, so excited. Uh, you could feel the presence of the Spirit here in this atmosphere, and that is the number one reason why we are excited. Uh, but we're also excited because, hey, if you haven't realized, this is uh, our, our, our third week in this space. It was a new endeavor. It was a new move. It was something that we were seeking to take on. And as you can see, it's already uh, yielded some benefits. We've been able to work more closely uh, with the students here on campus. We've been able to provide some counseling, as you can see, even students in the video. Our Relove students that go here as well, we've been able to capitalize on some of those relationships. We're just grateful for this place. How many of you recognize the need to be grateful for your environment? Environment is important. You go home and, and, and you make your home a certain way and you have your certain little smells. I know y'all like the little Glade plugins, and the little candles, the Bath and Body Works joints. I know about them. Yep. I, I, it, it matters because where you are matters. And what I love about the fact that where Relove is, is that it matters. Orangewood mattered before Relove got here. Can I, can I hear an amen? Amen. These students, this faculty, the, the, the people here mattered before we got here. We're grateful to be a part of the blessing and the good work that God is doing here in this place. I'm also excited because we are able to move forward into part three of our sermon series. We've been on a journey the entire month of February. And this teaching series entitled, what do we call our teaching series? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I think I'm forgetting because those are just words that I just want to get out of my mind. Whenever you're on a trip somewhere, that's what the kids are saying in the back seat. And I ain't trying to hear it, right? Are we there yet? What we're doing this month is we are driving forward four strategies for family success. In week one, Pastor opened us with the importance of having fun with your family. The fact that the, the future is in development now. Right? That was our first week. The second week, last week, we spent some time really digging into some of the soft spots of our heart, which was our feelings, our emotions. I want to apologize for some of the tears some of y'all may have experienced last week, but at the same time, I'm glad that God was able to speak to you. Today, we're moving forward with part three. And part three, we're going to be diving into something equally important, equally important, and that is forgiveness. Today's concepts may not be easy, may not be comfortable, may in fact be challenging, but they are in fact necessary. Next week, we want to encourage you to join us again as pastor closes us out with the last part, which is faith in your family. Now, I recognize not all of you may be parents, but all of you at some point were children. All of you come from parents, whether or not you claim them or they claim you, whether or not you live with them or they live with you. Therefore, everything we're talking about is relevant to you specifically. Even if you don't have kids or you're not parenting your own children, there's people in your life who are under development, whose future can be influenced by you. So I ask you, I ask you and urge you, urge you to really, really open your heart today to this message. Let's jump in to uh, our scripture for today. It's going to come from Genesis 41. You could have guessed probably where we would preach from when it comes to forgiveness. You can't talk about forgiveness in the Bible without actually looking at the story of Joseph. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 41, verse 51 and 52. And then we're going to skip one chapter ahead and grab a third verse there. Genesis chapter 41, 51 says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said... It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now I want to skip one chapter ahead to Genesis chapter 42, verse 9, and I want to read just the first half of that, just the A clause. It says, then he remembered his dreams about them. He remembered his dreams about them. Today's message is entitled Forgiveness, the Family Fruit. 
Bow your heads with me. God, we are grateful for another opportunity to open our hearts. As we open our words, God, we invite you in. Have your way here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus, uh, Joseph. So Joseph had a dream, right? Early in his teen years, Joseph had a dream. And because of that dream, Joseph was hated by his brothers, hated by his siblings, so much so that it impacted the future trajectory of his life altogether. Because his brothers, out of their jealousy and hatred for him, actually sold him into slavery and then went back and told his parents that he was murdered, that he was eaten by a a bear. And years of pain and suffering resulted from this experience where he was hated, he was abandoned, he was betrayed. He was later falsely accused of hooking up with Potiphar's wife. And as a result of that, he spent time in prison. He went from a pit to to a, a prison. And later on, he found himself in the palace where he eventually became the second most powerful person in all of the land, just next to Pharaoh. Fifteen years after he was done wrong by his brothers, he was reunited with them. He was met with the opportunity to forgive them. And not only did he forgive his family, he fed his family. In the midst of a great famine, Joseph found forgiveness in his heart for his family. I, 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 I have a, a hard time trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes, or perhaps we should say his coat, rather. He had the colorful one. That was him, right? It, I find it hard to really imagine what it's like to do what Jesus says in Luke 6, 28, when he says, bless those who curse you. I'll bless anyone, God but not the ones who cursed me, not the ones who sold me, not the ones who, who, who gave up on me, not the ones who betrayed me and who hurt me. My entire life has been impacted by what they did to me. Why I got to bless them? Surely I can be a Christian and have hatred in my heart just for one person. God, I love everybody else. I can forgive everybody else, but this one guy, This one woman, this one person, this one sibling. Surely I can continue being a a Christian and honor you, God, with just keeping that small seed in my heart. Forgiveness is no easy task. Forgiveness, as psychologists define it, is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment, or vengeance. Emphasis on the word decision. And obviously it's toward a person or a group that has harmed you. And the, and, and, and the book of psychology goes on to explain that it's regardless of whether or not they actually deserve the forgiveness. This is, this is, this is important because I think as Christians what we tend to do oftentimes is we only like to look at Scripture. Calm down. Calm down. It's, it's okay to look at things outside of Scripture, even as reference for your life. The Scripture that we love to only look at actually says that all good things belong to God, which is why last week and which is why this week I'm committed to resourcing you with information that's also extra biblical, that comes from years of study, that comes from research, that comes from different publishings, so that you can understand that there's a context around this concept of forgiveness. Last week there was concept and context for how we deal with our feelings and our emotions. There's nothing wrong with only looking at the Bible, but... The deeper you look into the good things outside of the Bible, you'll recognize that God is in those things too. Forgiveness is more difficult with family members than it is with, say, friends, simply because the level of emotional investment you have with your family, you don't have with anybody else like that, whether or not you want it. Whether or not you want to claim your relationships, whether or not you wish you could detach from some of those relationships, regardless of of your family and your relationship with them or theirs with you, there is an expectation that comes with a bloodline. 
There is, there is certain things that you want and that you are designed by God to need from those who came before you in your lineage. I'm going to say that one again. There are things that God designed in you to desire. Love, belonging, forgiveness, insight, guidance, direction, resources, mercy. These are some of the things that God designed in your heart to need and to desire from your mom, your dad, your brother, your aunties, your uncles, your cousins, your grandparents. And sometimes this is where we receive those things the least. In a study published by the National Library of Medicine, and we're going to put it up here on the screen, findings suggest that forgiveness of a marital betrayal, hear me now, forgiveness of a marital betrayal is significantly associated with marital satisfaction, parenting alliance, and a child's perception of marital functioning. If you look at what this means, what we're saying is that if you come from or are existing in a marital relationship where there may have been some sort of betrayal, after the reconciliation, after the forgiveness progress process, studies are indicating that you will have a better marriage after the hurt than you did before. They ain't trying to hear that. Y'all ain't trying to hear me. We're trying to have perfect marriages. We're trying to not have the hurt. God, I don't want the hurt. I just want to have the marriage the way you promised it to me. Listen, the research is saying after following the development of X amount of kids for 15 years through their adulthood, we're recognizing that marital satisfaction has increased after the hurt. That parenting alliance, which means your ability to co-parent, your ability to work with each other, the way you present yourself in a united front to your kids increases after the hurt. And then a child's perception of marital functioning. That means that the way you conduct yourself in your marriage now has a lot to do with the way you saw your mama and your daddy forgive each other. This is, this is, this is hard. This is a rough one. That last one's a rough one because you got pressure two ways. You got pressure to understand that part of what you're doing and the way you're conducting your relationship now has to do with something you didn't choose, which is the way your parents conducted themselves in their relationships. That's, that's one pressure. But the other pressure now is you got to recognize if you do have children, they're watching you. They're watching the way you forgive one another, the way you are tender to one another, the way you belittle one another. The way you ask for forgiveness and the way you bestow forgiveness. This is no easy message. We haven't even gotten to the first point yet. This is just the preface material. I want you guys to understand forgiveness is so critically important in the family dynamic. Your child will cope better with both family and life problems when forgiveness is taught and practiced in the home. This is the research. Now, I'm going to ask you, have you ever thought about how you resolve conflict in your home or in your important relationships or what tools for forgiveness you have inherited from your family? Have you ever given that time to to, to marinate? Just really consider how is the way that you forgive impacted by the way you witnessed forgiveness growing up? See, because the key to changing the way your family manages conflict, no matter how broken, lies in how you build forgiveness into your family now. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. I'm essentially telling you, you sit in the driver's seat of the future of your family. I'm telling you that you sit in the driver's seat of the generational cycle that can end with you. I'm telling you that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren can experience the more fulfilled and forgiven life by the way you demonstrate it in your home. This is no easy task. and I think we must, in order to truly understand forgiveness at a greater depth, actually recognize what forgiveness is not. 
Because there's so much that floats around in our culture about forgiveness and in the books and the self-help about forgiveness. And we get that all intertwined into what the Bible says. And we actually become confused in how to practice this forgiveness. But forgiveness is not approving. It is not excusing. It is not justifying or pardoning what they did to you. It is not reconciliation which means coming back together again. Forgiveness is, 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 is not denying or being blind to what happened. For, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not uh, making light of the wrongdoing. Forgiveness is not pretending that you're not hurt. This is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, however, is an awareness of the wrong, but a refusal to keep track of it. Forgiveness is letting go of the desire to punish the person who hurt you. And that's really sometimes what we're holding on to is the desire for that person to be punished. Forgiveness is letting go of that desire. Forgiveness is mercy. Forgiveness is grace. Forgiveness is, listen, relinquishing the bitterness you've been living with as a result of the way they hurt you. Forgiveness is having the opportunity to talk about it and choosing not to. But somehow we get caught in this weird cycle of unforgiveness where, where somehow psychologically we convince ourselves that there's some version of justice in our anger. I, I, I want to I make, sh uh, this, is, this is a paradigm shift if you can follow me. Many of us hold on to the anger, we hold on to the frustration, we refuse to forgive because we have convinced ourselves that we deserve that. We somehow believe that, that if, if I get mad enough and I stay mad long enough, then that person will change. I've done it. Somehow we, we convince ourselves that maybe if I can be bitter enough, I'll get justice. If I could just cold shoulder them long enough, I will find peace. But family, listen, there is no peace in wrath. There is no blessing in bitterness. And there is no hope in hatred. Neither forgiveness nor unforgiveness are going to change what happened to you. Both forgiveness and unforgiveness are simply GPS systems. But you determine the destination. Because whether you choose to forgive, it's not going to change what happened. It's only going to change where you go. If you choose not to forgive, it's not going to change what happens. It's only going to ch change where you go. It's critically important for us to understand that whether we choose forgiveness or unforgiveness, both will impact our future, but neither will change our past. Forgiving is a gift that you give yourself. My first point for you today is that forgetting happens when you remember. Forgetting happens when you remember. Now, be not confused. I'm not here to tell you, hey, we just have to forgive and forget. That's not, that's not the message. Forgive and forget the way we understand it colloquially is a cultural lie that has been taught to us. That says, that, 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 that almost teaches some level of, of ignorance that along with forgiving comes ignorance. Along with forgiving comes the ability to act like that thing never happened. That is not what the Bible teaches forgiveness is. Neither is that what I'm telling you to do either. Instead of trying to forget, we rather should focus on what we should remember. This is what the scripture is telling us. We need to focus on what we should remember. Forgetting is not minimizing the fault. It is elevating your focus. Forgetting is not minimizing the fault. It's elevating your focus. It's making a conscientious, deliberate decision to focus on what you should be remembering. 
Now, now follow me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. I, I have the NLT up here to make it plain. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Bible doesn't tell you to forgive and forget. The Bible tells you to remember. Paul didn't say forgive and forget in the remainder of the scripture in the New Testament that he writes, which is a lot, where he deals with forgiveness. He never tells us to forgive and forget. He tells us to remember. He says, are you going to focus on what they did to you or are you going to focus on what Jesus did for you? In order to forget, you must remember. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here we are again in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, operative term here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says we can release the weight, but it's going to require that we look at Jesus. It's saying that we can release the weight, but require that we look at Jesus. Now, a lot of us choose to live our lives carrying these. We just want to have them in our hands because they did me wrong. So I want to make sure people see my scars. I want to make sure people see my wounds. I'm going to carry these with me wherever I go and whatever I do. And I want to be honest with you. <laughs> these are kettlebells. These are weights, right? At first, it feels like I should have these in my hand. It feels right. It feels good. It feels like, oh, I'm becoming stronger. It, it, it provides this false sense of strength in oneself, this false sense of resilience. Look, at, I, can, I was hurt, but look at me now. I can carry this pain. I can carry this grief. They didn't knock me down. I'm victorious. I, 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 can, I can keep this in my hands, and I can keep this up. This is what we tell ourselves. So we carry the hatred and the bitterness and we tell ourselves that it, we're right for carrying it because what they did was wrong. We say we should have this because what they did was wrong. So what do we do? We begin to, 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 to justify, our, justify wearing our wounds. We stay tethered to our trauma. We live with the weight that God never designed for us or gave us the grace to carry. We don't like believing that grace is limited. You heard what I said. There's not grace for you to carry this. Let me tell you why. Because anything that God told you to let go of, you do not have the strength to keep holding on to. Anything that God told you to let go of, you do not have the strength to keep holding on to it. Let me tell you something. 90 seconds later, I got more sweat on my left brow than I did a minute and a half ago. I feel a little thing on my left back, the left side of my back. I can't even, listen, listen, you know what we do, guys? We come to church and we say, mm, I'm hurting. Ooh, life is hard. But look at the weight we are carrying. What do we do when Ricky's up here and he tells you to praise, your, praise God and, and raise your hands? This is us. Mm, I can't raise my hands. I can't praise. I can't worship today. There's something weighing me down. This is what we do. We carry this with us by our own decision. Some of you are asking why God has not answered your prayers, but you can't receive from God because your hands are full. Some of you are, are, are somehow convincing yourself that the pain that you are feeling is punishing the one who hurt you. That the weight that I have here I'm holding, but it's actually having an impact on the person that put the weight in my hand all together. You end up focusing on you instead of focusing on the wounds of Christ. 
on the scars of Christ. I'm incredibly uncomfortable continuing to preach like this. But I'm trying to do this for your visual comfort. I did not anticipate how this would be impacting me physically while I'm preaching. You may have guessed I don't work out all the time. But let me tell you something. I thought a little five minutes wasn't going to do nothing. But this is heavier than it looks. Y'all, some of y'all look, look at that lightweight. That's lightweight. Look at him. Look at him. I see y'all judging me. I see you guys judging me. I would lift it, Ricky, but I'm afraid I might pop a rib. And I need this rib. I'm not going to lift this. I'm going to just let it hang. See, see, because what this weight does, this weight, I want you to hear this sound. That's what we need to be looking for. That's how it sounds when you forgive. That's, I feel the oxygen returning to my fingers right now. I'm telling you real talk what's happening. I feel the blood back in my fingertips. The, the crazy thing is I didn't even know my fingers were cold until right now. I didn't know that I was losing blood in my fingers holding that, that all the blood was going to one place in my body. I was unaware physically of what holding the weight was doing to me. But we hold on to it. We refuse to forgive because we think we're doing them a favor. Let it go, family. Let it go. Joseph faces his brothers 15 years after they sold him into slavery. The Bible does not say that he remembers the pit. The Bible does not say that he remembers the prison. It says that he remembered the dream. Genesis 42 verse 9 says that he remembered the dream. Then he remembered his dreams about them. I want to tell you, family, you all have a dream in your heart. You have a calling over your life. I know your family has hurt you. I know you haven't received that apology from mom and dad. I know your kids act like they, like you ain't raised them and give them everything they had. I know you're hurt, but you also have a calling. You also have a purpose. Joseph remembered the dream. Joseph was only able to forget the pain because he remembered the dream. Now, 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 now here's what that means. That means that the memory that you allow to take residence in your heart becomes the compass that will direct your future. To forget means that you refuse to allow the pain of a moment to dictate the trajectory of your life. Forgetting does not mean that the memory is erased but that the authority that that memory has over you is no longer there. It remains in your mind, but it is uprooted from your heart. You have to remember in order to forget. Remember what God said over your life. Remember the dream that God gave you. Remember that God forgave you. The very same forgiveness that you are withholding from another person, you received in a place of non-deserving it too. So who are you to withhold from somebody else something you received that you never deserved in the first place? Who, 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 who are you to be the determiner and dictator of grace that you did not invent, of what you did not create? It's like an energy. You don't create it. You can only move it. That forgiveness is something that you can do and you can forget by remembering what was done first for you. You have to remember to forget my second point is the big one. It's forgiveness is a process, guys. Forgiveness is a process. When we look at, at, at verse 51 in Genesis 41, it says that Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble, all my father's household. God has made me forget He's made me forget. That word made in the Hebrew is, is, is a word that indicates building. This word made in the Hebrew is a word that indicates process that will take some time. God made me forgive. It says God made him forget. 
Last week we talked about someone making you mad. And we said, no one can make you mad. Mad is the emotion you were invited to and you put yourself in that box. You have control over that. Now this is the flip of that. The flip is that God will make you forgive. Listen, family, forgiveness is not for you to do. It's the spirit the work does in you. Forgiveness and forgetting is what God will make you do through a process. See, because while God is making you forget, he is also making you. While you are going through the process of forgiving, he is processing you. But sometimes we never reach forgiveness because we abandon that process. While you are giving grace, God is giving grace to change you. There is something for you in your journey toward forgiveness. There's something for you as well. And this idea of this process should bring some of you hope. It should bring some of you peace. Because a lot of times we get it twisted. And I know I've preached in other directions in this same concept. But sometimes we believe that things have to happen instantaneously. We believe that God's miracles work the same way they did when he spoke and things were. And sometimes that's true. But for this one, whew, forgiveness is a gift that God made for you so he can help make you. Forgiveness is a process that he gifted you with to help develop you into the person that he needed you to be for the destiny he had over your life. Listen to me. Joseph had a destiny. But until Joseph was able to enter and go through this 15-year process of forgiveness, he could not enter into that destiny. You have to understand when Joseph was a teenager and he received that dream and that destiny was placed on his life, you have to realize that Joseph needed to go through that in order to actually have the capacity to be the second-hand man, the, the second most powerful person in all the land. I want to ask you, family, where are you being asked and called to forgive that because you are not, it is preventing you from moving into your destiny? Where is God calling you to forgive, to release, to let go, to forget? But your refusal to do so is providing the barrier by which you cannot move forward. You have a dream for your life. You have a dream for your family. You have hope in your heart that is being stifled by your spirit of unforgiveness. Because after all, how could God trust Joseph to lead a million if he couldn't lead 12? How could God trust Joseph with a nation if he couldn't trust him with his own family? How can God lead you through your purpose if you won't follow him through his process? Understand, I know you don't like the idea of the forgiveness process, but I want to remind you that unforgiveness is a process as well. You're never not building something. You're never not in process. So you're either going to build forgiveness or bitterness, grace or wrath, love or hate. Either you're planting seeds or you are uprooting weeds. Whichever one you choose, the process will continue. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we're reminded. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It didn't say a whole lot of roots. It didn't say a whole bed of weeds. It said one root will defile many. One iota of forgiveness will impact an entire lineage after you. That means that today you are suffering the consequences of someone who before you who refused to forgive. Let no evil root come up in your heart. Listen, family, forgiveness I know is hard. And many of us are refusing to do it because we believe that then we need to be open to a new relationship with that person or a continued relationship with that person. And that's not what I'm saying. Because forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is about your relationship with you. And reconciliation is about your relationship with them. I want, I want you to read this. Forgiveness is about your relationship with you. 
But reconciliation is about your relationship with them. Many of us believe that when we forgive, we have to enter back into relationship. That is not what I'm suggesting, not as a pastor, not as, as, a, as a mental health worker, as a social worker. I would advise against that thinking. Because we have to understand that sometimes forgiveness is going to lead to closure. Oh, this is the hard part. For some of y'all, you're like, oh, finally he's saying stuff I want to hear. Oh, finally. All right, God, I'll do the little forgiveness thing. Just don't make me go back to that marriage. Just don't make me come back. Listen, I get it. I get it. Forgiveness will often lead to closure. It does not necessitate a restoration of the relationship. It may lead to, to, to reconciliation. It may need, lead to closure. But no matter what, it always leads to healing. Always leads to healing. The process of forgiveness may, 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 may lead you to evaluate the expectations of your family, of your expectations and your needs. And I, I, I'm going to get a little deep here when it comes to the way we relate socially with our families. Okay? Because a lot of what we understand about our expectations for our family, it comes from our culture. We have cultural and familial expectations for respect. We have cultural and familial expectations for positional roles. We have familial and cultural expectations for how you interact intergenerationally. And what I'm saying is forgiveness may lead you to a place where you are going to reevaluate those things. I want to tell you something that I learned early as a social worker, it's that every behavior is an indication of a need. Every behavior is an indication of a need, which is why what we talked about last week is so important. And if you have not heard that message, go back and listen to it. Your lack of awareness of your own emotions, of your own uh, thoughts, and of your own behaviors is leading us to self-destruction. When you are not aware of what you're feeling, you're not aware of what you're doing. But everything you're doing is your personal expression of a need, whether you intended it to be so or not. Humans have needs. You all know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Need for basic stuff, right? Need for love and belonging. Need for self-actualization. We have needs that our behaviors are indicating. Now, when you are considering forgiveness and how to reframe your relationships, sometimes you have to actually ask yourself, what do I really need? Some of you are continuing to accept the abuse from your family members because you believe that because they're your family, you need to take it. That comes from a cultural construct. That is something that was taught to you, that you saw modeled, whether subliminally or consciously, you follow that too. So I'm going to ask you, what is it that you really need from your mother? Is that a need you can live without? Can you forgive your mother, have the relationship, some level, some degree of relationship for the years she has left on this earth, and get that need that you had from her from someone else? Or from another place? Is it possible for you to continue? I'm asking you to reevaluate what you are needing from the family that you are refusing to forgive. Because if those needs are preventing you from forgiveness, then God wants you to remove them. He designed you to need them. And if he designed you to need them, he will design the way by which you will receive them, even if not from the parents. I know this is heavy stuff. I know this is deep stuff. I want y'all to be thinking and reflecting. Listen, healing intergenerational trauma, you learn the difference between these things. When you're healing intergenerational trauma, you learn the difference between dangers of the past and the safety of the present. Some of us are still constantly living in this place of I'm in fear, I'm in danger from our childhood because our neurological pathways were now formed as a result of the experiences we have that are impacting us still today. We have to be intentional about taking inventory of the fact that I now am no longer who I was when I was five. What my parents do, what my siblings decide to do no longer impacts me the way it did when I was 15. We need to live in a new reality. Healing into generational trauma is also 
taking care of others' emotions versus prioritizing your own emotions. So you were taught to feel for everyone else first, but now you have to learn to refrain that and prioritize your own emotions now. We talked about forgiving. We talked about forgetting. I want to help you all understand what this process may look like for you. That's why we're getting into the nitty-gritty of this stuff. Listen, it's, it, it's understanding the difference between your family's beliefs and values and your authentic beliefs and values. Some of us are so ingrained in our culture that we believe that what our culture values inherently is what I value. And that may not be the case. And I'm blessed to stand before a multicultural congregation. Today, I see everyone from the rainbow. And so I know this applies to you because there are cultural expectations in black families. There are cultural expectations in Samoan families. There are cultural expectations in Japanese families. There are cultural expectations in white families. These cultural expectations you need to ask, are those my values? Is that what God designed me to value? God gave us culture, but God trumps culture with kingdom culture. There's something above your culture. There's something above your people. There is something above your parents. And that is the calling that God placed on your life that we cannot get to. Because we're so confused about who we are relative to who our family is. We're so confused about who God is calling us to be. I don't even know what I believe. I don't even know what I value. You have to take inventory of that thing first. Healing intergenerational trauma. You learn the difference between trauma-induced, internalized criticism and self-compassion. Now, I know this is a lot. Trauma-induced, internalized, negative criticism means you are doing one of two things. You're constantly being criticized by your family. That's a trauma that you've experienced. Or you are constantly criticizing yourself because of the way you were raised. That is a trauma. Be not confused with the word trauma because now that it's getting cool, now that mental health and therapy is becoming the thing to do, which I'm grateful for, we're throwing words around. Trauma is not an event. An event can be traumatic, but the word trauma comes from the Greek word that means wound. So trauma is wound. So when you're saying the word trauma, understand you're referring to a wound, not an event. While an event can be traumatic, trauma is a wound. So you have a wound that causes you to internalize your criticism. You have a wound that expects you to constantly be criticized in the workplace by your boss. So now that's how you're walking. You got to give yourself self-compassion. We're talking about loving ourselves now. Healing intergenerational trauma is everyone else's expectations versus your own authentic goals, and inherent self-worth. You matter regardless of what your mom's goal was for you. You matter regardless of what your husband's expectations are for you. Your self-worth is inherent. I understand that I'm telling you that forgiveness is a process, and I also understand that that process is a difficult one. But I'm not done trying to take you through a part of that process. I'm closing in just a couple minutes, but I want to share with you something from Katrina Nair. She's a, a, an LMFT, a, a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, here in Southern California. And, and she is a specialist when it comes to family trauma. A specialist when it comes to family trauma. Here are six ways to forgive when parents won't apologize. Now, I mentioned this last week because a lot of us think, well, I'll forgive them as soon as they say I'm sorry. I, I mean, I'll do the process as soon as I get the word. Some of us are not going to get that word. And remember that while I'm talking to you as children of your parents, I'm also talking to you as parents of your children. Your kids need your apologies most before they really understand the importance of it. In the earliest, most formidable stages of a child's development is when if they get used to hearing an adult apologize to them, it teaches them what to expect from the adults in their lives. It's preventing them against molestation. It's preventing them against neglect. It's preventing them against abuse. Because you as the leader in your home model what it looks like to lead with love. Your child now expects the adults in their life to lead with love and when they don't, they're not going to follow. So the apologies that you are waiting for from your parents that you may never get, turn those into apologies for your children. 
Do it now. It's not too late now. These six ways, these six ways to forgive when your parents won't apologize. Radically accept your parents' limitations in their ability to hear and soothe your pain. Radically accept your parents' limitations in their ability to hear and soothe your pain. They were not born when you were born. They did not have access to the resources that you have access to. They may not have been able to do the self-work. In fact, some of the sacrifices they made has afforded you the opportunity to do the work. Accept that they don't have it to give, that they are limited. You can love them in their limits. Love them in their limits. The second thing is to know that just because they won't apologize doesn't mean that you don't deserve it. You got to release yourself of the lie that you don't deserve their apology because you haven't received it. That third thing, the third thing is self-parenting. Now, now family, this is so powerful when it comes to this healing, this process of forgiveness. Self-parenting, show up for your inner child in the way that you needed to them to show up for you back then. Inner child may sound crazy to some of you. I don't got time to go into it, but this inner child concept provides you with the power to parent yourself in a way that your parents could not. That will heal your relationship with your family when you learn how to parent yourself. The fourth thing, the fourth thing, acknowledge that as an adult, it is no longer your parents' responsibility to heal you. Man, oh man. Healing is your job. Remember last week I said joy is your job? That applies. Joy is your job. Forgiveness is your feet. <laughs> it's your responsibility for healing. This next thing is to speak your truth in the safe spaces of people who can support your healing with love, compassion, and understanding. Family, I want to tell you one of those places is with life groups right here at Real Love Church. We're just on Wednesday night, we had a whole group of us, not one dry eye. People sharing things that they have never said to adults before. Never said to another human. Because you have to have that place of release for your truth. And finally, the sixth way to forgive your parents when they won't apologize is to ground yourself in where you are now and resonate in the growth and healing progress you have made so far. Celebrate yourself, family. Be grateful and generous. As a Christian, we spend so much time preaching about being kind to others, and we won't even be kind to ourselves. Forgiveness is a process that changes you as much as it changes your circumstances. Now, my last point is simple. Forgiveness brings fruitfulness. Forgiveness brings fruitfulness. Genesis 41, 52, it says, the second son he named Ephraim. The first son he named Manasseh because God made him forget. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Hear me. Joseph did not deny the suffering. You don't see him do that. He did not deny that he was hurting for 15 years. He did not deny the pain. I also want you to, folk, to, 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 to understand that the fruit was in the suffering. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Family, the, 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 the fruit is in the suffering. but we abandon the suffering without pulling that fruit out. And that fruit is for you. See, Joseph knows he was hurting. He's not denying that. He just knows that God's ability to make him fruitful is more powerful than the devil's ability to make him suffer. And that is an ode to the goodness of God. You can have a painful past and a fruitful future. Forgiving is letting go of the past you thought you wanted and releasing yourself into the fruit of your future. I think that's an important distinguish meant for us to make 
is that hope is something for the future. It's not something for the past. But your unforgiveness is often there in your life because you are hoping that something in the past would change. You are still focusing on what did not go right. You had a hope for your past that didn't turn out. Forgiveness is releasing that hope and taking on the fruit of your future. It's relinquishing misdirected hope for your past and placing it ahead of you. It's holding on to your history will always be at the expense of your destiny. Woo! Because holding on to your history will always be at the expense of your destiny. Listen, family, I know they made you suffer, but God made you fruitful. They hurt you. God healed you. They broke your heart. God mended it. They tried to stop you, but God sustained you. They threw you in a pit, but God elevated you. They cursed you, but God blessed you. They locked you up, but God set you free. It has been said that friends and family, friends are family that you choose. I believe friends are family that you choose, but I also believe that family are the friends God chooses for you. And he chooses them for you because there's something in you he needs to get out of you through the process of you forgiving that family. What is God trying to grow in you? What is God trying to harvest through your hurt? If your heart is the soul in which your peace grows and your love grows, then forgiveness is the rain that waters the seeds. God, we are grateful for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for the picture of hope that you have in your word, Father. I wanna pray a special prayer over each person here under the sound of my voice, God, that they can truly commit to this process of forgiveness with all trust and hope in you. In Jesus' name.